Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. Some of you may know me, some of you may not. Um, my name is AJ. Um, I get to lead Awakened students here um, on Wednesday nights. Very exciting. It is very fun for me, me and my wife, Breezy. Um, and it's such an honor to be able to share with you today. It's not just the students today, but it's all of you, and that's a real blessing for me. Um, to start us off, I just want to ask a question. Did, did anybody here grow up in the 1990s? Raise your hand. A lot of you. That is awesome. I grew up a, a good chunk in the 1990s. I was born in 1994, um, so my young years were in the 1990s. But the, the thing that I love most about being um, growing up in that era was that I got to grow up with the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> Yeah, that was an awesome show. I loved that show as a kid. If you don't know who the Power Rangers are, they're basically a bunch of uh, ninjas, sort of, with different colored suits, and they run around fighting aliens and monsters. That's kind of the premise of the show. I loved that show as a kid. I loved it so much. I remember running around my house pretending to be the Red Ranger, and I'd fight my brother, and he would be an alien and a monster, and I, I just loved that show. But what I loved the most about that show wasn't just the, the action, the, the fighting with the, the different colored rangers. It was the Megazord. So who remembers the Megazord? Let me see a show of hands. Some of you know the Megazord. Let me explain what it is. So each of the Power Rangers had these giant robots that they would drive. And each of the robots looked like some kind of creature. So the Red Ranger that I loved, his robot looked like a, a T-Rex. And I loved that. It's so cool. Um, some of the other rangers, um, their robots looked like an elephant. One of them was like a saber-toothed tiger. And they would all get in these robots, and each one had different like, skills and strengths and weaknesses, and they would fight these larger-scale enemies. But every once in a while, there would be the huge, massive Godzilla-sized enemy that they would have to face. And that's when they would unite, and they would become the Megazord. All right? All of these robots would come together and click together like Lego pieces almost, and they would become this massive transformer type thing, each Power Ranger driving their portion, united together. And it was, it was so cool. I loved that. And the reason I share this is because that idea of the Megazord, that's, that's really what the church is. The church is like the Jesus Megazord. So that's what I titled the message today. The title of today's message is The Jesus Megazord. Because the church is this massive image of Jesus, that is what it's supposed to be, made up of all of these unique people, different backgrounds, different, um, different skills and abilities. We're all united together to make a large-scale impact. That's what the church does. And I think that that is such a cool thing. And where we're going to be jumping in, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today. If you want to start turning over there, that's where we're going to be reading but this whole book of Ephesians, all of this letter that Paul writes, that's, that's the author of this book, writes to that church at Ephesus and now to us as well. He's trying to get them to understand what Jesus' definition of church is and how we are supposed to see it, how we're supposed to understand it. And that's a heavy, weighty topic. So we're going to jump in in verse 1. We're just only going to read verse 1 to start. Ephesians 4, verse 1 because there's something important that we need to lay the groundwork for. This is what it says. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, 
implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Okay, so pause right here. First point, first takeaway for us today is that being a part of the church is an honor worth living up to. Give you a second to just process that. See, we're told to walk worthy of the calling. So the first question that we have to answer is, well, then what is the calling? That's where we have to start. What is the calling? And the calling, honestly, it's very simple. It's to be a part of the church. That is what the calling is, to be a part of the church. And we have to understand that when we read this letter, when we read Paul's words on, on this, in this letter, the people that he was originally writing it to, the Ephesians, had a very different view of church than what we have. When they just heard the word church, different things came to mind for them than comes to mind for us. And this is an important thing to understand. We have to be on the same ground. If we're going to understand what the church really is, we have to understand what it also is not, and we have to get the right context. So I want to start off about talking about what the church is, what the calling is, what it's really supposed to be. So the church is not, to, to give us some context here, just an entertainment venue, okay? There is things here at church when we show up that are entertaining to agree, to a degree. Worship is great, but it's not a concert. The messages that we hear They are impactful, they're engaging, but they're not just for entertainment's sake. That is not what church is. Church is also not just a hype tool. A lot of us view church as just this this method of getting us amped up to get us sent out into our week, feeling good, feeling ready to face the, the things that we're dealing with in life. That is not actually what the church is. It doesn't mean that it doesn't happen, but that is not what it's it's meant for. Um, the church is also not a club. It's not just a place for us just to show up and meet decent people and make some good friends. We do that here, but that is not its main purpose. That is not what it is. It's not just a club. And then finally, the last thing I want to share is it is not just a basic moral compass. A lot of us view it as that. What it is not, though, any of those things. So now that we know what the church is not, we've gotten that out of the way. Now we can find out what the church actually is, what it's supposed to be. And to make it more clear, I actually want to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, because this is going to give us a lot better understanding. It says, You also, in the you also, that's the church, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what, what that is saying there is that the followers of Jesus are the church. It said that we are living stones. We are these living blocks, literally these, these living building pieces that are being stacked up to be the church, each of us as followers of Jesus. And I think that this is a really important thing for us to always grasp as we're moving through life as, as followers of Jesus, because this means that church is not just an organization, but it's an organism. Right. So we have to recognize that or else we're going to get off on the wrong track. We're just going to show up to awaken because that's a building and that's what church is, but it's not. We are the church. We're those living stones. We're, we're the holy priesthood, and that's so cool. Um, so as we grasp that, that helps us understand what church actually is, what the calling is. 
but then Paul said to walk worthy of it. And that, that means that if something is worthy, that it's an honor. So that's where that first point came from, where it is an honor worth living up to. So why? Why is it an honor? What makes it an honor? Well, what Paul said at the very, the first word that comes out of his, out of his pen, I guess, when we read this, was therefore. That's what the first word is that we started reading. And that means that everything that came prior to what we're reading right now gives us the context for what he's about to say. So the reason why it's an honor to be a part of the church, why it's worth living up to, comes from the first three chapters. That's where he maps out the, the honor. And I just want to sum that up and, and, and help us understand, because it, ha- it came in chapters one through three. There's a lot that he says there. I'm just going to recap just um, four of the things that he says that I think were really cool that, that show me that it is an honor to be a part of the church. Um, the first thing is that we've been adopted through Jesus into God's family, just straight from his love, just because of his love. That is a huge blessing. Talked about how we are a holy priesthood. I read that verse from 1 Peter earlier. Um, Some translations are a royal priesthood is said there. We have been adopted into royalty, the king of the universe, the, the king of the kingdom of God. That is our father. We have direct access to him now. That, that is an honor. That's a huge deal. And uh, some other things that it says is that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing and that we have been lavished in the riches of his grace. Now, I don't even have to really go into that, but it already sounds good. It sounds honorable. It sounds, it sounds amazing. But when I think of these things, being blessed with every spiritual blessing and being lavished in the riches of his grace, to give some context of that, that is the freedom that you have in Christ. That is the joy that you have in Christ. That's the peace that you have in Christ. That is the identity and and strength and support that you have through Christ. Those are incredible blessings. That's the riches of his grace. That makes it an honor to be a part of this. And then the last thing that I wanted to share, there's so many more, I encourage you to read that, but The last thing is that we have been given the Holy Spirit as a pledge of promise. So all of us who are followers of Jesus, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within us. He's done the redeeming work to save us. He guides us in life. He points out things that maybe we need to change. He he affects change within us. But it's more than that. It's more than him just be like doing some work in our life or giving us basic guidance. It's that when we see him at work in our life, that is a mark of God's promise that he's going to redeem you, that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. So when we are living as a part of the church, when we're looking at all of these incredible things, the being adopted, the experiencing the blessings from heaven, the riches of his grace, when we're recognizing the Holy Spirit as that promise, when we're recognizing those things, to me, that makes it very clear that it is truly an honor to be a part of this. And it's an honor worth living up to. And I have to start there. We all have to start in that place. If it is not an honor, we're going to miss it. We're going to completely go off the, off the track. We have to start there. So now that we understand what church is, the honor that it is, why we are called to live worthy of it, that we have to live up to it, it's a big deal. 
Now we can ask the question of, so how do we actually walk worthy of that honor? And that's where we're about to go. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. We'll start with 1 again. And this is where we're going to start finding out. Paul answers some of these questions. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk worthy in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. All right, the second point that I want us to take away today is that what we share in common overshadows our differences. So we walk worthy this common thing that we have, we walk worthy through our unity, not our uniformity. I just want to point that out before we we run deeper through this. We're all going to be different. We're not uniform. We're not exactly the same. We've had different pasts. We come from different backgrounds. Generally, we have different skills and abilities, different likes and dislikes. We are different. We're not uniform. We're not all exactly the same. We're not carbon copies. But That's not what we're called to be, not uniform, but united. And that's why what Paul is saying here, he lists off a few things that are keys of our obedience that are going to allow us to be more united. So some of those things, he, he mentioned humility and gentleness. Those are the first two. Starting with humility, this idea is being okay with not steering, It's not about my agenda. I don't have to be in control. That's humility. That's taking a back seat, putting yourself below others, looking at others as more than yourself. That is what the idea of humility is. And that's a key to our unity. And then he goes into gentleness. When I think of gentleness, I think of this like fragility, fragile, something being fragile. So I really love technology. I love getting new pieces of technology. But have, have you guys ever gotten a brand new phone, brand new iPhone, you take the plastic wrap off, they slide that, that paper top off and pull the phone out, you, you care for it so incredibly gently, like, like your fingerprints are going to damage it, like you hold it so, so closely, like so delicate, like any move could, could cause it harm. That is the idea of being gentle with something, like very gentle with something. And that's the idea that Paul is trying to get across when he mentions these things, humility and then gentleness. He's saying, recognize that the way that you interact with the church, because that's what all of this is in context of. I just want to make that clear. We're talking about the way that we interact with other followers of Jesus. That's really important distinction to make. So when we talk about gentleness, that's exercising caution in the way that we speak, the way that we act. All of these things, we have to recognize that we have the capacity to damage. We can easily do that. So if we're not actively pursuing gentleness in all situations, then there's a chance that we could, we could break something. So in all situations, we're humble and we're gentle. And then Paul gives us two other things. He says, 
for us to be patient, to walk in patience, and to bear with one another in love. That's the idea. Um, this word bearing with one another in love, um, that's really important. It just means to endure for long term. So um, that's, that's the, the next two things, patience and enduring with one another. So that first one, patience, very self-explanatory. It just means being able to wait, but that is very hard. That's probably the hardest one on this whole list, being patient. Um, a lot of us, we want to pull others along who aren't moving quite at our pace. This is where that humility and humbling comes in. But being patient, we have to be patient in order for this unity to be able to, to bind. And then he goes into enduring with one another. And I love that this term is in there because this, this idea of enduring is like long-term. And I think the best way to help us understand it for what Paul intends it to be is by talking about marriage. So me and my wife, Breezy, we're married. And that means that I want to live my life, endure with her for as many years that God will allow me to be on this earth with her through the ups and the downs. I'm not just going to break that off. It's not going to happen. This idea of enduring with one another in love, with enduring with other followers of Jesus, is right on that same vein. That I'm going to go long-term in expectation that my relationships with the other followers of Jesus are going to last for a lifetime, for as long as Jesus will allow me to be on this earth. Therefore, I'm not going to just cut people out of my life. I'm not just going to ditch people when things aren't going well, when it's, when it's a problem to, for me but I'm going to endure with them through the good and the bad. And I like the term bearing with one another because it has this idea of a burden, like putting a burden on your back. I'm going to carry some of that load and walk with them in it, patiently helping them along. That is the idea. These are keys to our unity. But these keys to our unity, these things that we're called to be obedient to, are actually not enough on their own. I think that that's such an interesting thing. It's not enough just to be obedient in all of those ways. See, that's why Paul gives us some other stuff. See, our unity is actually solidified by what we have in common, which is why the point that I made was that what we share in common actually overshadows our differences. See, he gives us this list. In verses 4 through 6, I won't go back and read them word for word, but in verses 4 through 6, he, he lists these different things. And when you, we first read through them, it seems like, what is that, Paul? You're going off on a tangent here. I don't understand why you're listing this stuff off for me. But it's really, really important. In this list, just to sum it up, he says, There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one God and Father over all. That's kind of the gist of what he says. And he says this because he wants us to recognize that, hey, you have been created different. You're not all uniform. You're not all the same. But you all share the same God and you share the same one single calling. Therefore, we've all made this common claim. Anybody who's in here, if you're in here today and you're sitting here thinking, I am a follower of Jesus. I am a Christian. I know Jesus. That means that you have made the claim that Jesus rules your life. So that means this list of all those one single things, we each share that in common. Therefore, if we have that commonality and we fall below that, we recognize 
God and his kingdom as superior to ourselves, that we're going to put differences aside and we're going to unify under that and not allow those to become problems. That is a really big deal. And I want to point out that this doesn't mean that when we are walking in obedience and in submission in this commonality that we all have, that doesn't mean that we're not going to just still have differences. We still will. I'm not naive to think that, hey, if I do all this, the right stuff and I live it out, then just everything's going to work exactly right. There's going to be differences. There's going to be issues that come up. And this is why I just want to point out, it's so important that when these issues arise, that we take them to God's written word. And a lot of us need to hear that. A lot of us don't do that. A lot of us, we take it to prayer. We may take it to somebody who we think can counsel us well, and those are good things to do, absolutely. But ultimately, this is the definitive giver of truth. And it's not going to change by what I eat, what I feel, or what I think. It's not changing. So when I have issues, when I have differences, when actual issues arise that need to be discussed, it comes to this. That's what we deal with them with. And then whatever this says, whatever God's written word says, since we all have that common claim, I fall under it. And I recognize my, this common claim is of what God's word is, what we all stand for, the calling that we all have, this overshadows those differences. I'm not going to let those get in the way anymore. And this is really important for us to grasp. These are those keys to that unity that we need, to being the church that we're supposed to be. So when our hearts are actually in line, when we are obedient and submissive to those things, that's when our roles within the church actually become effective. Starts with the unity, starts with those things, but then we have these roles that we each play, and we have to recognize that. So that's where Paul is about to go. We're going to keep on reading verses 11 through 16. We're going to read this whole chunk. It says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, Christ, and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, which causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. All right, final point, and this one is huge. Jesus structured his church with a strategic purpose. See, the first words that we read were, and he gave. And we just need to start there and, and, and recognize something. The he that, is, that it's talking about there, that is Jesus. So it's, and Jesus gave. And I, I need us to start here. 
Because I want us to recognize that this is his strategy. It's not our strategy. This is not Pastor Kevin's strategy. This is not Pastor Nate's strategy. This is not somebody who just decided in the last thousand years that, hey, this is the way that we're going to do this. This is Jesus's strategy. This is what he gave. And we have to recognize that to, to start us off. He gives these multiple roles. There's multiple areas where each of us will ultimately fall into by his leading. He's going to lead all of us as we follow him as followers of Jesus to one of these places, one of these roles. So as we're following him, he gives us these roles, and I just want to quickly run through them. It starts with the apostles. These are the messengers. I, I like to think of missionaries, the people who are sent out to go, go share things. That's the apostles. Then it mentions the prophets. These are those who are inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak. This can be about things that are of the future that haven't happened yet, but it's also revelations of God's word that are being prophetically spoke over people's lives. Um, then it gives the evangelists. These are the good news bringers, the people who are sharing the redemptive power of Jesus in the, in the world. They just are gifted with this, and they, they do it well with excitement and joy, without awkwardness and, and struggle. They just have a passion for it. That's the evangelists. Then we have the pastor slash teacher. These are united roles. They go together. And this is the idea of um, the, the pastor is the overseer. So when the followers of Jesus come together, they're all assembled. There's a large group of believers together. They're overseeing that. They're, they're guarding that and watching over it. And then they're the teachers. That means they're teaching God's word accurately for what it actually says. They're putting the time into studying it, knowing what God's word is for real. They're not speculating on it, but they're sharing it with truth. Ultimately, like what we read, all of these roles are for the equipping of the saints. And that's the, the final role, the saints. And the saints are those who are holy, who are set apart, just like we read in First Peter, the holy priesthood. And, and honestly, 97% of us are probably going to fall into that role of the saints. And it says that the saints, their role is for the work of service. And this is where I really want to settle in, because I know what a lot of us think when we hear that, that final role. I don't want to be a saint. I don't want to just be a saint. That's lame. That's how a lot of us think. Because we, we, we hear those other roles and we're like, those have a ring to them. Prophet. <laughs> Apostle AJ. That's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, an evangelist. We think of Billy Graham, these prominent names like that. So we, we, we view the roles, those other roles, almost like with a ladder mentality, like it's a business. Like I start on the ground level, entry level, and then I work my way up, and someday I'll attain to that top level. Can I just tell you right now that that is so incredibly wrong? That is not how the church is supposed to be viewed. It's completely off track. And it's important for us to recognize that. See, that role of being the saint is a huge honor and blessing. And each of the roles is in support of one another, not one better than, than something else. See, the saints, honestly, get to administer the majority of ministry. They get to actually do it. So the, the version that I'm reading from said that they're being equipped for the work of, of service. I just want to like share because 97% of us fall into that role of the saints. 
I want to share what some of those, what the service is defined as, what, that, it, what those things really are. Um, one of those things is investing in relationships. For me, this is a really clear thing for me to talk about and, and think about um, our awakened students leaders. They do such a great job of investing in relationships in our students, wanting to know about their life, wanting to be involved in their life, want to be there in the hard times and the good times, want to help give them guidance in areas that they're struggling, but they're investing in relationships. And we all have that responsibility. But if you are in that role of the saint, that is something that is a primary thing that you should be doing, investing in relationships. And then another thing is meeting needs. Now, I have been the beneficiary of people meeting needs just recently and in the last couple of years all the time where the saints come together to meet needs, and it is such an incredible blessing. Um, My wife, Breezy, had to be in the hospital multiple times, like over the last year and a half, two years. And every single time, the saints, this role that we look down on, showed up in that hospital room and met the needs that we had to be encouraged where we were down, to to help us out, to cover us where we were weak. And it was such an incredible blessing. There's there's so many other needs other than just meeting somebody in their hospital room, but there's the needs of when people are going through financial hardship, and we know that we've been given an excess. We haven't been given that excess just for ourselves. We've been given it to meet the needs, to be the saints, for the work of service to help those who are struggling. And then finally, I just want to mention that ultimately, it's pouring out in the power of Jesus. I mentioned that as the saints, it's such a blessing because you get to administer the majority of ministry. You get to pour it out. You get to see beyond the ground level of the power of God at work every day if you choose that. And I wanted to to bring this up and really focus in here because it's so important to not only know our role, but to embrace it as the gift that it actually is. Because that's what they are. They're gifts. Whatever role that we have been given, it is a gift from Jesus. He knows who we are, what we need, and where we're going to be the most effective. Because at the end of the day, what Jesus knows and what we lose sight of a lot of the time is that there is work that needs to be done. Here at Awaken, we constantly say that we're here to awaken people far from Christ to new life in Christ. That's work. And that's where we all come together, where we come in to make it happen. See, in, at the end of verse 13, and then in verses 15 and 16, some interesting stuff is brought up, some really cool things says that the church is to be maturing into the fullness of Christ, into the fullness of Jesus, and that we're supposed to be growing up into him. And then it mentions that it's from Jesus that the whole thing is held together, that it's, that it's made strong. Now, I think it's important to, to mention that because this is something that I had never thought of literally until I was studying this text, is that the church is not here just for my own personal growth, that's not to be my focus alone, but also the corporate growth of the whole body itself. I never thought of this, of the, of the body of Christ, the church maturing 
along with me maturing personally. I never thought of that, ever. And this is such an important thing for us to know because when we recognize that, we can realize that we're coming together for a greater purpose. Because for me, for so long, I've struggled with the idea of how am I supposed to make an impact in the city of Clarksville? How am I going to do it? And Clarksville is not even the largest city in the United States, but it stresses me out thinking about where am I, what am I supposed to do? I can invest in relationships. I can help grow others to know Jesus stronger, but how am I actually going to make this massive change? I can't, and neither can you, but you know what can? The Jesus Megazord. <laughs> That's what can make the difference. When we all come together and we're maturing, not just ourselves, but we are living life effectively, living for Jesus together and maturing in our roles as the church. So the church itself is maturing, not just us. And like I said, I never thought of that before. And I hope that that's a a new revelation for many of you to ask that question, where am I maturing the church? How am I going to actually start focusing on that? How am I going to make this this megazord here of Awaken stronger and more effective? What am I doing for that? See, right here, ultimately, when we do become the Jesus megazord we're supposed to be, the real church, when we do that, that is where culture is going to be moved. And if there's ever a time that our culture needs to be moved, it is definitely now. So this this heart of being united and to be effective as the church is so incredibly important right now. And that's why we're about to close out. It's time to be very honest with ourselves. I'm going to challenge you guys right now. I have three questions for you that I want you to to really go out of here asking and digging into. Question number one is, has church been a hassle or an honor for you? See, I'm talking about, has showing up on a Sunday been a hassle or an honor? Has serving on a team been a hassle or an honor? Has building relationships with other followers of Jesus been a hassle or an honor? Recognize where you are in that. Ask that question. And wherever you fall on it, whether you have seen it as an honor or whether it has been a hassle, I've viewed it as a hassle at times. I'll be 100% honest. Um, Wherever you fall on that, I challenge you to read Ephesians 1 through 3. All in one shot, not over a long period of time, but read it all in one shot. And pray and ask Jesus for a refreshing of your perspective so that you will see it as the honor that it is, so that you'll have the desire to live worthy of it, to live up to it. Second question that I have for you is, have you been eager to preserve and build unity? See, that's where those roles, the obedience and the submission comes in. Have you been eager to do that, to have that be a part of your life? This is where we need to examine ourselves and ask, am I actually pursuing obedience in this way to where it's going to affect the other followers of Jesus around me? And am I actually in submission where I really care about not letting these other differences get in the way? I'm going to put them to the wayside. I'm going to humble myself and say, it's not about my agenda. I can not be in control here. That's all right. Are you able to do that? Ask yourself and be honest and, and see if Jesus needs to do a work in your heart. 
and break away some hardness of heart and, and allow you to move forward stronger and effective. And then finally, the last question I have for you is, do you recognize and embrace your role as a gift? I did not embrace my role as a gift for a long time. I viewed it as a burden and as something that was sometimes a pain and got in the way of other things that I could be doing. And that is such a wrong way to view the role that God has been given. It's meant to be a gift. It's been given by him. See, we have to recognize that Jesus has given us these gifts with a strategic purpose. That's why he's, he's given them to us, because he knows us, and he knows where we're going to be effective. This role that he's given me, it wasn't just given to me because he thought this is where I would work the best. It's because he knew this is where it was going to allow me to grow the best. And that's why he's given these roles. And I hope that these things have been encouraging at some level, have been eye-opening at some level, and I hope that it's going to affect some kind of uh, upward call in your life to be a part of the church, to be effective within the church. Because together, we are going to grow into that Jesus Megazord, into the church. We are going to actually be that. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.